Good evening and welcome to Channel 17, Town Meeting Television. We're doing another one of our election forums here tonight. My name is Howard Wooden. I'm the moderator and we are lucky tonight that we have uh, the candidates for Burlington City Council Ward 1. And to my right and to the viewers left there, we have, uh, this is Zoriah Hightower. We have Sharon Bushor and Jillian Scannell. And uh, they're going to give a couple of... Uh, they're going to give an opening statement, and we, it looks like we may uh, get some phone calls from the audience tonight, and we're really looking forward to that as well. But let's just start it off. Can someone just tell me what part of Burlington uh, Ward 1 is so um, we know which, where we're talking about in the city? Who wants to volunteer? So I'll do that. Um, the way I've kind of been explaining it is basically everything from Willard, so the east side of Willard, um, all the way through to Winooski. Okay. And kind of going either on Colchester Ave or Main Street, depending on where we're Okay. About. So if you're in that area tonight and you want to call in, let me give you a number. You can call us in live um, at 862-3966. And we've got some calls lined up already, but let's do opening statements first, and then we'll take a call. Um, Zoraida, do you want to start? Yeah, thanks, Howard. Uh, so I've been living in Burlington for about four years. Um, I am generally running to make Burlington a little bit more equitable, a little bit more green, um, a little bit more sustainable. And so, um, yeah, the reason I care about these things is I was on the development review board, started seeing some things that I would like to see differently. Um, I think housing and transit particularly are places where we're starting to lose. So um, we're moving. Um, where in terms of climate change, our transportation is not where it needs to be. Um, we're definitely moving backward rather than forward. Um, and then on housing, it feels like we're losing housing stock um, in terms of quality and in terms of ownership and independent ownership by individuals. Great. Sharon, your turn. Thank you. Um, so I've lived in Burlington. I came, I came here from Massachusetts and went to school at UVM. And, and decided to stay, uh, like a lot of students do. Um, and I got involved in the community um, as a public works commissioner and with started the neighborhood um, special bus route with neighbors, um, helped rebuild the Shemansky Park playground. That was a real experience. Um, and eventually ran for public office. And so I've been a city councilor for a long time. I got elected in 1987 when Bernie was mayor, oh, yeah. his last yeah. term. Um, but I really love this city, and, and I love the ward I live in, too. Um, it's home to a wonderful mix of neighborhoods and it's also home to two big institutions. Um, for me, what I know about my ward is that I do have experience and I do have an understanding of, of the stresses that living with the institutions puts on this ward. Um, and so one of the things is uh, we need to deal with housing. We need to deal with, with UVM creating more on-campus housing. We need to create more housing to make it more affordable. There's a proposal for accessory dwelling units, will, which will help alleviate some of that, not completely by any means. Um, also, affordability. I'm on the Board of Finance trying to look at everything very critically to keep taxes down um, because taxes spill over not only to the homeowner but to the renter. And so affordability is what I'm hearing as I door knock a lot. The other thing that has been going on for a lot since my hair was black and I was young, it has to do with the, the climate crisis. 
this is not new. It's thank God for the young energy that is behind this movement now, and finally people are paying attention. But there were warnings 40, 50 years ago that we should be doing something. And so I have ideas and I want to try to enact those and help make Burlington a better place to live. That's great. Jillian. Thank you. I'm grateful to, to be here tonight and have this opportunity to, to tell you a little bit more about myself and introduce myself to you. Um, so my name is Jillian. I'm currently a senior at UVM. I'm student body president. I'm studying environmental studies and political science. Um, so I've been here for a little while. I've been part a neighbor in the ward for a bit um, and have really enjoyed being here. Um, but as I've kind of come to see a little bit more, um, there's definitely some issues in the ward that I think that can be taken care of on a ward level and also the city level. Um, two specifically, which, you know, I think it's pretty great that all three of us are sort of calling out very similar issues. Um, obviously the first being the housing crisis and the second being the climate crisis. Um, a bummer, we got two crises, but we gotta deal with it somehow. Um, so I think the way forward with the housing crisis is that UVM needs to be more held, held more accountable to building more housing on campus. There's been some conversations. I think a lot of the time the city looks at the university, the university looks at the city, and then they're both staring at each other. And you know we don't have that productive conversation. And I think that in my role as student body president, um, I've created a lot of connections on campus. And I have an understanding of how the institution works. So I feel like when it comes comes to the forthcoming housing agreement between the city and the university, I feel like I can really have some productive conversations there and make sure that we're holding the university accountable. And then we're talking about the climate crisis. There's obviously a lot of ways to handle this. I'm an environmental studies student, so I know the different routes that we can take. Um, but something I feel passionately about, and after speaking with multiple stakeholders in the region, I think that looking at this idea of a regional intermodal transit facility, um, so we're stopping cars as they get um, before they get into the city, um, it will be a partner. It could be a partnership between South Burlington, Burlington University of Vermont, um, the medical center, um, all these big institutions and big groups, um, and together we can create this facility to stop traffic coming in um, and make more options for. Um, alternative ways of transportation getting into the city. It'll decrease some of the smaller things like people having trouble with traffic or finding parking, but it'll also address the climate crisis because we're getting people out of their cars and making the city more walkable and less relying less on having cars coming into the city. That's great. Now we do have some calls, so I'm going to uh, remind our viewers, uh, when, I, when I pick up the phone for you, please just state your name, your first name, and ask your question. So we're gonna uh, go to our first question right now. Caller, are you there? Yes, hi. What is your first name and ask your question? So Josh, and my question is, the Burlington Police Department has been in the news for the wrong reasons recently, and I'm wondering what change needs to happen at the BPD and how will the candidates bring about that change if elected? Uh, why don't we, uh, Jillian, since you finished up, you can start with that question yourself there. Yeah, I would love to. Um, First and foremost, I think that we all know that there have been some issues um, at the police department and that are disturbing to all of us. Um, and I think the way around that, you know, separate from the issue of whether or not um, talking about the chiefs in that situation, um, I think what needs to happen is we need to be thinking about how we're integrating social services um, within the police station, um, both for the police and for well-being, well mental well-being, um, but also finding ways um, different than enforcement. Um, and I think that when we're talking about how to create, rebuild the trust that's been lost by a lot of people, I think we need to do a better job um, recruiting more intentionally. So we're recruiting folks from these neighborhoods that are gonna serve in these neighborhoods and people will feel much more likely, more trustworthy because they know who these people are. They're not people coming in from other places. And then in regards to training, I think that there's a lot we need to look at there. Um, in regards to use of force policy and things along that line, all 
uh, police officers in the state are trained by the state, um, whether or not they're state troopers. I mean, I think that we should look at what that training looks like and see if it's different than what the needs of, than what we need in Burlington. And right. if that's the case, then supplement where needed. Oh, thank you. Zoraya, what are your thoughts on? Yeah, I would definitely, uh, I would agree with the social piece around like moving away from enforcement to a large extent and moving toward um, a more cohesive strategy. I think on top of that, I think there's something that needs to be done around citizen oversight. Honestly, um, Burlington Police Department is one of the best police departments that I've encountered as a um, as an individual, um, and so I think there's a lot commendable around that. But I do think that the way reason it got where it is now, and the reason that it is um, as strong on policing, um, not as strong on policing, but as um, equitable of a department as it is, is only because of citizen oversight. And I think that there are a lot more could be done to expand that citizen oversight and to make sure that citizens have a stronger say into, um, yeah, how the police department operates. Mm. Sharon? Well, I think, th um, so everything that everyone has said is spot on. Um, mm. But I think that I want to emphasize the fact that um, what happened at the top with the chief and then the deputy chief is indicative of a, a systemic problem. And it does, it does suggest to me that there needs to be some support given to the police to work through frustrations because going the route they went is absolutely inappropriate and it has destroyed trust between the community and the police department. And so mm. we need to resolve and fix that if we can. We have an opportunity, we need to find a new police chief. And I think the way we do that is to make sure that citizens are involved in that process and feel like we as a community are embracing that new leadership. I also believe that um, there is a balance between, um, well, I, I want to also say that I think the role of the police commission could be enhanced mm. and improved. Um, and I think that, uh, that Unfortunately, I, I feel that they feel like they're somewhat limited in what they can do and how they can help the department move and respond to the community concerns. And I think that's another piece that we want to look at. There are lots of things that can be done, but I want to agree with what Zariah said also, is that the department as a whole, they have community-based policing. People really do value the police department. So the suggestions that are made are are made because we want them to be better and we want to help them in helping us. That's great. I know we have another call, so I'm going to go right to calls here. So uh, good evening, caller. Uh, give us your first name and please give us your question. Uh, my name is Ira, uh, and uh, my question is... Um, uh, about climate change, uh, and it's uh, it's that Vermont's emissions have risen the past ten years, largely due to fuel emissions. And what's your plan as a city councilor to make uh, Burlington a leader in addressing fuel emissions related to climate change? Thanks for your call. So, um, Sharon, why don't you start? You get a chance to start off with this one: emissions. Emissions. Yeah. Okay. What's what's the city's plan, or what do you what would you like to see happen? So the city. Um, so. As a member of the Board of Finance, we look at contracts, we look at um, purchasing, and so the city owns a fleet of vehicles, mm. and a lot of those are um, use fossil fuel. Some of them are hybrid, but the what we just did recently was to work to give direction to the administration that hybrid was 
phase one, but we really need to move to all electric. Sometimes those vehicles aren't available at this time, but we have to have an agreement and commitment that we will move in that direction. So to eliminate fossil fuel. Um, the other piece that is um, just happened is that public transportation. They just purchased a couple of electric vehicles. There, it it costs money, so you need to we need to regionally support this. Burlington alone cannot shoulder all of the costs associated with this, but public transportation expand public transportation. You're going to hear that from everybody here. Expand it, get people to leave their vehicles at home, and either walk or bike or take public transportation. Um, that's the way we can deal with some of the emissions. Um, Burlington Electric brought a bunch of different electric vehicles for everyone to try out. They're very costly. Mm -hmm. And that really, I, I think the problem is that we still have the issue of parking those vehicles and storing those vehicles. So I think the, the idea is, yes, move in that direction, but get people to say, we'll use something like car share if you need a vehicle and use public transportation to get around um, within the city. That's great. Jillian? Yeah, I absolutely agree with Sharon about uh, electrifying our municipality's fleet. And I think before we do that, we need to make sure that our infrastructure around the city is a little more conducive. You know, if you're talking about electrifying a, a police cruiser or even a DPW vehicle, we need to make sure that they have know the places to charge and there are enough places to charge in the city that they can get around and do what they need to do. So certainly expanding electric vehicle infrastructure is something I'm interested in. When we're talking about housing, um, excuse me, not housing, when we're talking about greenhouse gas emissions um, from cars, but also this idea of this intermodal transit facility. I think it's a great opportunity for the, to see that regional action. So it's not just Burlington. Most of the folks who come and drive their cars into Burlington, they don't live here. A lot of people who do live here, they're walking downtown. So it's folks coming in from other places in the region. Um, so if we work together with our partners in the region to stop cars from coming in and making it uh, alternative transportation methods more um, uh, easier, ex more easily accessible. Um, and if we make that push, then it also sort of lightly nudges the city as well to making to make sure that the city is accessible and walkable. So if you know that the people are using more public transit, you're going to make it easier for them to get around the city. Zariah. Yeah, I think I take a little bit less of a light touch approach. I do think we need a more fundamental change. Intermodal transit is great, and I agree that's something we need. But I also think we just need to get people into we like. Burlington hasn't grown in population size much over the past decades, and it's because people don't have the opportunity to live here. So we've got an increase in transportation because people need to get into the city. Yes, buses can help with part of that, but partially also we do just need to make more housing available to people in Burlington to really hit at the source of that um, increase. And then other things around that, um, yeah, I think we need to have a serious conversation not just about public transit, which is kind of the easy conversation because everybody can be pro-public transit, but also around how that... Um, how that uh, works with parking and have a serious conversation about parking and is like more parking what we want in the city and if we're building more parking will the cars come because I think it will. And so I think we need to have a conversation about how do we give access to mobility without increasing parking, without maintaining parking um, and having that other forms of transportation like bike lanes and buses available, easily accessible, so people can be moving in that way. Wow. I, it sounds like this is an, an important subject for all three of you. And so I appreciate um, Iris' question there. And we have other people on the line. So we're going uh, to see. It's really good that we have people calling in. Um, but 
Good evening, caller. Just give us your first name and ask your question. Hey, it's Tony. I'm just wondering, uh, with over 60% of Burlington residents being renters, can you talk a little bit about your experience as a renter in Burlington? Really curious. So what, before I ask that, what, what is the, what's the issue for you in renting? Do you feel like there's not enough rental space? What, you know, where, where, where do you want to hear them talk about? Um, just I look for people, candidates that kind of have similar experiences as mine with so many Burlington residents uh, that are renters. I'm really curious to hear about all the candidates' rental experiences. Okay, like yeah. That. Oh, thank you, Tony. Appreciate it. Um, let's start with you, Zariah. Yeah. So I, when I moved to Burlington, um, I rented in a couple places on Colchester Ave. Definitely had the experience of um, that being rough and being tough and, you know, like paying $800 a month for a four-bedroom um, apartment, which, you know, like coming from places that are much cheaper would like seem astounding to me. Um, I'm lucky that since I've moved to Burlington, I've worked the same job, so I've had, um, you know, a steady income the entire time. There's definitely been places in the past where I've not been able to um, immediately move to a city and be able to afford the rent and had to figure out short-term situations or moved out with a partner and had to figure out short-term situations. So housing insecurity is a big deal to me. I think it's an extreme reality in a place that's ex I guess, expensive as Burlington. Um, I'm no longer a renter. I recently bought um, a home over on Riverwatch, partially because, and this is astounding to me, is it's, it's cheaper almost to have an apartment, uh, to buy a home in Burlington than it is to rent. And I feel like that's kind of an unacceptable state of affairs. Um, one last point is I actually ended up having to move across the street on Colchester Ave because I did also have problems with um, loud neighbors. I was sleeping in my basement for a little bit. Um, but yeah, definitely housing is important. Our housing quality is really the reason that I'm running is to support renters. Sharon, what especially. do you think? So I also, even though I'm a homeowner, um, I also started out renting in Burlington. Um, and I lived in a house that had been converted. Each floor had been converted into an apartment. Um, and the people in the basement played the drums. Um, and um, it wasn't, you know, it, was, it wasn't, wasn't built me, as was a park. <laughs> it wasn't built as an apartment. So there were those issues of just compatibility, of getting along, access, not being well-maintained. This was before code enforcement. Some of, the, some of the places I looked at, I don't believe an animal should have lived in, let alone people. I think our housing stock has improved somewhat, but, this, but the standards of, the housing standards really do, the minimum housing standards need to be relooked at and improved because um, they certainly are just minimum. Um, so renting is challenging and renting today is even more challenging than when I rented because the down payment for a a condominium house whatever is really so significant that with the cost of rent I don't know how anyone really could get that down payment mm -hmm. it took me a long time so I think that's a real hurdle um, some people are fortunate enough in in Ward 1 to have found somebody who rents to them they've stayed there a while and they've kept the rent flat but that's not for everyone. Most people come in and out and every time someone moves in there's an opportunity to increase the rent. So um, you know we really need to do something about landlords who don't maintain their properties. Um, looking to actually I'm looking to license landlords as opposed to just register that way. If indeed somebody wasn't 
um, really following through. And there are a lot of good property owners, but there are there's a core, there's a small percentage that really don't comply. So if they didn't comply, you would able you would be able to say you're going to we're going to take your license away because owning an investment property is a business. Jillian. I have to say I agree. Students. Yeah, you, you know, I agree with a lot of they said they have said. Um, I've rented for the past two years since being, you know, on UVM's campus. Generally, most upperclassmen move off campus um, for a multitude of reasons. So I've been in in rental units across the city, um, and I, you know, as they've mentioned, I don't. We don't call it a minimum housing standard. We call it minimal housing standards, <laughs> um, and it's there because there's. It's really just not there, um, and a lot of it is because I, I think is that. Um, because it's a lot of students, people think that we don't know what's going on, and a lot of times people don't people don't know what rights they have as uh, renters. Um, and a lot of the times, like there certainly are good landlords, but a lot of the times landlords are able to sort of uh, maybe do things to students or just other new people new to the renting market um, that maybe isn't okay if if maybe if I called up Sharon and said, hey, is this okay that a, a landlord is making me do this? And it's, it's probably not. Um, but I haven't been told that once I moved off campus. Oh. Um, it's October of your junior year or your sophomore year when you're forced to rush around, go on Craigslist and try to find housing that the front, you're, you could go to a door and the front door doesn't work. And you're just rushing to find housing because then you hear everybody on campus is rushing for housing. And by November, if you don't have housing at that point, it's, well, you need to sublet, well, you need to do this oh. and that. And to be honest with you, as someone who wants to stay in Burlington, I don't know if in my early lifetime, anytime soon, I'll be able to afford to oh. buy in the city. We have another question, and uh, you know we've gotten three great police department, climate change, <laughs> renters. Let's see what we got here. You know, every call is gonna is really spicing it up here. Um, good evening, caller. Uh, give us your first name and please tell us your question. Sure, uh, my name is Linda, and my question is: What do you view the role of CETO in Burlington as, and how do you think that role can be improved? Uh, okay, say say your question again. What do you view as the role of CETO in Burlington, and how do you think that can be improved? Thank you so much, Linda. Appreciate it. Um, Jillian, yeah. what do you think? So for those who don't know, um, CETO is the Community and Economic Development right. Office in the city of Burlington. Um, something I've s talked about since the beginning of my campaign, actually. Um, I think that there's a lot of good work being done by CETO. Um, especially the community engagement specialists. Um, and I think that a lot of the things that we're seeing in the city, um, you know, whether it's something that's on the front page of the newspaper or not, uh, community members feel like they don't know about it, so everything seems to come as a surprise to them or seems like a scandal when a lot of things have been going on. Just maybe there's some disconnect with communication. And I think that CETO and the community engagement specialists can really come in here and play a big role. Um, so currently we have one, um, and based on the 2018 annual report, they make about $50,000 a year with benefits and whatnot. And I think that if we can find the money, um, while it is an increase, um, I think that it's worth it um, to know that the city is prioritizing community engagement. So $100,000, we can triple the amount of community engagement that the city is doing. I don't know, it seems like it seems like a good investment to me. Soraya? Yeah, I think CETO's uh, one of the amazing organizations that we have that's really done a lot, I think especially for working class, uh, lower income and uh, minority kind of individuals and families. Um, obviously, it's struggling right now. I think there's been some reduction in federal funding. Um, yeah, I not always sure that like increased funding is always the answer because it's it's the easy answer to a lot of our problems and I think it would be nice if we found that alternative to that I think CETO actually kind of stepping away from some of the bigger projects um, I think they spent a lot of their 
there's a, such a diversity to what they do that I think sometimes stepping away from the bigger product and not getting so involved in the fray of what that is and trying to communicate it would actually be um, beneficial because those tend to be divisive issues anyway that people are paying attention to and doing some of their other like really good heart level playing field work and kind of reshifting the focus um, would be something that I would advocate mm. for. Sharon. So CETO has been around for quite a while and, and it kind of lost its way recently and so it's got undergone some reorganization so there's new leadership there but really CETO is community and economic development and so what we had were people going out into the community and also they were a place where people could come a, a woman a minority could go I want to start a small business how do I do that CETO was there to help make that happen they also were there to look at areas within the city let's look at Pine Street and the industrial zone off of Pine Street where Burton is etc mm -hmm. that's a place that is underdeveloped. That would be an area that CETA would go and look at the community, engage the community, as both of you are saying, but also look at what the potential is and then stimulate that economic growth so that we would have something that the community wanted and we would get something in return. We would increase our tax base. So CETO is actually that, that engine for our city and it is an arm for the administration. So I don't ever really want to sever that arm okay. because it's direct to the mayor. Um, and so the mayor has an opportunity to see his vision through CETO. And so I just want to say that, you know, I think there's lots of potential, as everyone has said, and it hasn't been realized. They're undergoing some reorg, um, and I'm hoping that they find come back to what their initial uh, mission was and maybe even expand that. Okay, yeah. We still have callers, so I'm not kidding. <laughs> and I appreciate it so much. And again, if you want to call in, the number is 862-3966. Caller, um, give us your first name and ask your question. Hi, uh, my name is Dan. And um, I know we've heard some things about housing experiences and ideas, and I'm glad we're all sort of uh, agreeing that renting is a challenge here. Um, I'd like to hear what you think about what got us to this point with high rents and challenges um, and what you feel like your primary focus is to uh, bring the rent down. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Um, Sharon, start us off here now. Hey, what I think he's trying to ask for is how did we get this problem and then what do you think about... Um, the, how did we get the problem yeah, of increased did, rents? In your opinion, okay. you don't have to spend too much time on that, but I think he's really looking for solutions too. You know, so. I think... Part of the problem has occurred um, where Burlington, as UVM grew, um, and they didn't meet their own on-campus housing needs. And I'm talking actually when I was in, in college. This is a long time ago. They really long. weren't addressing <laughs> that. And so it spilled out into the community. And it was symbiotic. I mean, I'd have a house and and Zariah and Jillian would rent a room from me, and I got income, and you had a place to stay, and everyone was happy and because it was owner-occupied. Then investors, who are smart people, said, mm hmm there's some <laughs> way to make some money here. So they started buying up some of the single-family homes and then renting them out. And then... Um, then everyone saw that there was great value, so the value for the cost of... So, so homeowners saw a way to get some 
real money back from their investment. And so they started selling their homes at higher prices. So now you have a higher mortgage. In order to pay that mortgage, the rents go up. Yeah. Okay, now it's become, now the, the universities and the schools grow, and now we have less housing. We're not keeping up with the pace in the city or in the region, and the university isn't. And now we have this dilemma where we have a low, too low a vacancy rate, and we have um, inadequate housing. And so the rents are astronomical. Nobody can really afford them unless they couple up at least sometimes three or four people renting a house, sometimes more if the space allows it. Um, and so that's, that's how we got there. What do we do? Well, we need a better balance. We need more housing. We've talked about that. That's one way to deal with it. Another way, as I said, is to hold people accountable. If you're holding uh, investment property owners accountable, maybe they won't have as much incentive to buy property if they realize that we're serious about them being good neighbors. That's another. So you, there's not one solution to this problem. I know that people have, have talked about rent control and rent stabilization. I don't know enough. I need to do more to understand that. The concept sounds good, but my preliminary review and I mean it's preliminary, and I need to talk to other people too because I really un need to understand that better. Is that the right approach, or are there, are there flaws in that approach? But we really do need to do something, um, and I don't have the answer to the caller's question. Maybe, Jillian, you have some answers. I mean, I would agree that there are a, a lot of answers to this question, and there's not one silver bullet that's going to help us solve right. this housing crisis, and so it's really looking at the tools that we have in our toolbox and the different ways that we can kind of get to where we need to be, which is having more affordable housing and having an increase of stock of that. Um, and I, th I mean, I think it's crucial, and I mentioned it before, but the University of Vermont, you know, that's one tool in our toolbox is that we need to hold them accountable to building more housing. That's going to relieve some of the pressure on the market in the city. Um, but we also just need to be building more affordable housing, um, but we need to be doing so within the capacity that we can. Um, so building densely in the downtown core where we can and in places that that's possible. Um, you know, obviously not too high. I'm not trying to Try and not trying to build a skyscraper, but right. you know, build density where we can, and you know, it's sustainable to do so when we're talking about making a walkable and livable city. It's great if we could have some dense buildings down downtown that increase the housing stock. Um, and I think you know, we we move to other. There's other options there too when we're talking about enforcement and holding landlords accountable. And it's all of these things that all kind of need to be happening simultaneously. And on the point of rent control, I'm in a similar place with Sharon in that I feel like I need to understand it more. But to me. The main problem we have is that the, the housing stock is low, mm -hmm. and so we need to raise it. And having a rent cap doesn't that doesn't raise we don't have that doesn't build any more housing. Yeah. So we need to figure that out. Yeah, Zariah. Yeah, so I think in addition to some of the problems they listed around UVM, I think we also have a problem of an aging housing stock that's really designed for families that have two or three children instead of, you know, like aging seniors who are maybe one or two household sizes as well as uh, young professionals like me who, again, household size of one or two, maybe three. Um, yeah, so I think that's another. And then I think in converting the housing stock from that kind of single family model that we had, it's been a problem of ownership and who's owning those changes because instead of, well, you can't have a five-bedroom house because nobody in my generation can afford that. It's like who's then buying that up and trying to make it into something that different people can use or just buying it up and renting it um, to you know people who are just renting it by a bedroom at a time. And so I think those are two of the big problems. Um, I think that 
rent control that we absolutely need to have are, is, I think, the inclusionary zoning that Sharon helped put in place um, you know, years ago. I think we need to do a lot more around that. I think developing more housing stock, but at the same time making sure that every single unit that we build has that affordable housing piece in it, and we're really subsidizing some of that um, affordable housing with more expensive housing and um, codifying that. And I also have to point out that it's also about more housing and, you know, talking about, like, supply. Um, but I think there's also we really need to work on our tenants' rights and making sure that they have the right to push back, that, you know, like, that that they feel safe enough in their housing that they have the right to push back on landlords. We can't be the only ones pushing back on landlords. We need to empower tenants to do yeah, that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we still have people online, so I'm going <laughs> to keep going with this. Um, and I, I don't know how much time we have left, but we're going to keep going as long as we can. So... Good evening, caller. Um, tell us your first name and please ask your question. Hi, my name is Cece, and I want to know um, about your guys' credentials on climate because, as we know, climate change is an existential crisis on a global, national, and local level. Okay. Thank you for the question. Appreciate it. So asking basically for credentials, <laughs> what's your expertise? Me first? Yes, please. Great. So um, I have been studying environmental topics, including climate change, for and working on them for over 10 years. So did my undergrad originally, over t uh, started over 10 years ago at the University of Tulsa, um, and then got a Master's of Environmental Management from uh, the Yale Forestry School. Um, with in cl classes including focus specifically on climate. In my current role now, I work on climate issues across the country, um, across the country, across the globe. Mm. Um, so I worked on some Kosovo, in Kosovo, I worked on renewable energy financing facility. Um, in East Africa, I worked around climate adaptation and mitigation, um, worked with some climate data organizations to help them help other organizations work on climate. So I feel like it's something I know really well. I think that's one of the reasons I've been endorsed by Sunrise on campus. Um, <coughs> Pardon me. Yeah, I have very strong credentials on climate. That's great, Sharon. I do not have a, an educational background <laughs> in, in any climate um, arena. I've lived and observed and been part of trying to do, trying to deal with issues that affect our earth. Um, as far as fracking, been against that. So most of what I do and what I know about climate is what I read and educate myself on and hear from the other people that um, I represent and I work with. Um, so I'm not an expert in this area and I, and I don't profess to be, but I do know that um, when something like, for example, um, when we're looking at changing, trying to reduce our carbon footprint, I looked at <coughs> what was laid out and saw that, well, one of the ways, besides just deal, just looking at the vehicles, was, was new construction, that we all, most of us are using a, a, some source of fossil fuel to heat our homes. And so I worked with Burlington Electric and with code and permitting to try to figure out what we could do so we have in place a process to make an ordinance change that all new construction would use electrification or some other um, renewable energy source. Um, so that's one example. Also, when um, I was aware of, of other types of 
of uses um, of other types of energy sources. Big supporter with Burlington Electric as they tried to expand their portfolio um, to get solar into that equation. Also, Winooski Hydro One, when they came forward with that plant, I was around and wanted to make sure that when that sale, when that contract expired, we would be able to bring that into Burlington Electric, and now we have that as part of that process. So I think that I don't want to diffuse the fact that people have expertise, but I think those who don't also can make a difference. Further can. Yeah, Jillian. Absolutely. Um, like I said, I'm an environmental studies student at UVM. I came to UVM for the Rubenstein School of the Environment and Natural Resources knowing, um, you know, the the renownedness that they had across across the globe really especially with the work they're doing on climate policy um, it was shortly my first year shortly after about two months into my fresh freshman year was the 2016 election um, and right after that um, I became really concerned about the state of environmental policy and the state of climate um, and so I became an environmental activist on campus um, ended up holding multiple rallies I went to um, Denver and got trained by former Vice President Al Gore as a climate reality leader um, in Denver. Um, and then when I came back to campus from that, I decided, you know, I need to take a bigger role. Um, so I ran um, my, uh, for my run as president of the student body, I ran on a climate platform. Um, and I've been doing a lot of work with climate action at UVM. Um, and then last year, um, I received the Truman Scholarship, which is a national public service scholarship. Um, and I received that after um, my policy of carbon pricing for the state of Vermont. So what I'd, I know our time is, is limited. And I, we still have people, on there, and I know we're not going to get to them. We're going to try to get some more calls in, but just so I make sure that everybody gets a chance to kind of talk about the things that they wanted to make sure we got across, I'm, I'm going to do kind of a, a final statement. And if we have time left, or we'll take, a, we'll take some more calls. But Jillian, I, I'd like to, you know, we've covered a lot of things yeah. here tonight, but there must be things that you want to make sure you get your message across, and this might be a good chance to do yeah. it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, absolutely. Um, sort of before diving in the things that I wanted to get across, something that I was thinking about last night, we had a debate and we were all sitting up there. And uh, besides Councillor Roof, it was a slate of female <laughs> candidates. Um, right. And so I, it was, yeah, it was really great. And I, I honestly just wanted to say to Sharon, thank you. Um, thir ser serving 33 years as a young woman who is now trying to run for office. I'm just like very humbled by that. And I don't here, think... Here. And I don't think that I could be doing this if it weren't for people like you who, who came before me. So I just I, I did want to lay that out there because I've been thinking about it a lot since last night. But I really just want people to know that you know what they see is what they get with me. I'm an honest person. Um, I've fallen in love with the city of Burlington, and I really want to give back. Um, and I think the way that we do that is you know enhancing communication within the city, um, rebuilding that trust, having better transparency, and making sure people feel like what's happening in City Hall is getting back to them, and what they're doing is getting back to City Hall. I mean, we're all working together again. Again, my, my main issues, I want to I wanna look at affordable housing. Um, I want to look at solving the climate crisis. Um, but really, it's just about making sure that we have a neighborhood in Ward 1 that works for everybody. That's great. Zariah? Uh, yeah. Um, also, a huge thing to share, and I think I pointed that out yesterday when we were sitting on the panel. Um, great that we've got four women running in Ward 1 and Ward 8 uh, yep. for City Council. Um, yeah, I'm extremely excited to be running, obviously. Um, I love Ward 1. I live and have worked in Ward 1 for four years. Um, it's been great uh, definitely being part of the NPA meetings. Um, I found my partner in Ward 1. I feel like Ward 1 is its own kind of special community, um, and I've really, really enjoyed living
living there and being part of it. Um, I think housing and transit are something that I'm extremely passionate about, things that I understand very well. I understand what the climate impacts are of housing and uh, transit, but also how they, how they affect us intersectionality-wise, so how it affects really kind of the lowest income um, individuals in our uh, ward and definitely want to run um, for all citizens but also make sure that we're keeping keeping rising lifting those citizens up first. That's great. Sharon? Well thank you. Um, I, I feel like I have not run out of energy or ideas Good. Um, and I have more time now because I'm retired and I certainly have the commitment um, to keep going. Um, what I did want to talk about, though, a little, a few add-ons to what we talked about already. Um, as far as renters, one of the things that I didn't mention was that part of the community coalition, they're working on creating a renter's toolbox, which will give people the information they need when they move off campus. Now, I like that. It's a great idea, and, and I'm working with... Um, Sally Short, to she's in charge of that, to make that happen. But I want to broaden that. I want to take that toolbox and give it to any renter um, that's, that is coming into Burlington so they know their rights. They know how to navigate through difficult problems. So I think I want to empower people. That's why I ran initially. I haven't given up trying to empower people, giving them the knowledge they need to care for themselves or being there as a resource if they feel that they need my assistance and doing that. I want Burlington to be a livable city and one of the ways that I want it to get more livable is I want to broaden the input into the budget. The budget is the be all and end all that reflects the priorities of our community and with Bob Kiss was mayor he actually had a citizen group get involved in budgeting and I think that that was a good model. It had some flaws but I still think that the way we get our needs met is to identify what our priorities are and then bring those forward and ask the administration to enact those. There's limited money. There are so many wonderful ideas, but there isn't enough money to enact all of those, so we have to prioritize. But that is what, and in doing that, we will, do, we will deal somewhat with the affordability piece, which I'm hearing on almost every door, whether you're a homeowner or a renter. Um, and so that's my passion. I still love it. I still love Burlington. And um, I'll end there. Thank you. Uh, we have time for maybe one more call. And um, I'm going to take this call and keep your answers somewhat short because I think we're down to a less than about a minute and a half here. Um, caller, please, we have a little bit of time. If you can give us your first name and ask your question. Oh, you ready? Yes. Uh, my name's Cyril, and um, <clears throat> I'm wondering at what dollar level would you invest in Burlington, have the city invest in Burlington Telecom? Thank you very much for your question. I will, I will do it first, only because, <laughs> only because I'll be very brief. We have about $5.3 million in proceeds that we have to either set aside or to invest. And what I would like to see is a minimum of 2.4 million that will get us a seat on the board. And also, 
because of the success of that company, the, the return on that investment could be 12.5%, which would mean it would be about 300 or so thousand, three to $400,000 a year, which, which would reduce our reliance on the property tax. Thank you. Jillian? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that and mostly just say that anything that we can do, I think, um, to take that money and, and put it back towards uh, lessening the property tax, I think that that's getting higher and higher every year as, as we see on the ballot items coming up. Um, so I think that if we can move that money back. Zariah? Yeah, I think getting a seat on the board would maybe, um, in terms of property tax, I think big pockets of money are better spent on one-off items. So um, if there's a one-off item that we're trying to purchase... I'd probably spend it on that with the, the seat on the board being the first priority. Thank you so much. I want to thank um, Jillian Scannell, right, and Sharon Bouchor and uh, Zariah Hightower for being here tonight. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff we got done here tonight. It's amazing um, how, uh, the callers <laughs> were able to go into so many great subjects. And you can find us here at uh, Channel 17 at ch17.org right online. You can get copies of this, share it out there across social media. Uh, we're very um, proud to be here at Town Meeting Television. And there's going to be another um, forum coming up right after this. But if you need to review some of these, these things, you can always find them right on our website. So thank you very much, ladies, for this. Uh, you informed me, and I know that's important. As, uh, so thank you, folks, for being here tonight. We'll see you soon.